been reading that passage all week, and there's still parts of it that this sound really strange when you hear it out loud. But uh, I'm really bad at, at switching gears. I'm preaching today, so um, if you need to go, I'll turn around and you can exit, and then I'll turn. No. <laughs> so the Nerf Wars, <laughs> Mr. Martin's like, I don't know what's going on. Yeah, so Nerf, Nerf Wars, the kids know what we're talking about, the, the youngsters, you know. But the, basically, to the glory of God, we're going to shoot each other with dart guns. Um, so, yeah, we'll take over the whole church, and for 6th, 7th, and 8th, we'll run around and shoot each other with dart guns. And it's a lot of fun because we kind of, we it's at night. We'll turn some of the lights out and, uh, you know, it's kind of creepy. And, yeah, it's fun. And uh, it's a great thing to invite a friend to. So I'm excited about it. I, I think we do Nerf Wars in our house a whole lot. So, so it also, it seems appropriate. You always get, you bring the worship guy up to talk about Sabbath, right? Okay, worship guy comes up and tells everybody you got to come to church every week. And, you know, and then in a couple of weeks, we'll have the finance guy preach and tell you to, to tithe, you know, and we'll just, but uh, hopefully, I mean, we've covered, we've covered some Sabbath. And so we're not going to go into every jot and tittle of Sabbath, but I've had some people ask me, why, why are we going through the whole book of Exodus? Okay. And they're like, man, it's, it's kind of crazy. I've never been to a church. I've never been to a church that would just preach through a whole book. You know, I've gotten podcasts and, and listened to them. There's a guy that I, I used to like to listen to, Mark Driscoll, and he did a, a, a sermon. He did a sermon series on Luke, and it took him two and a half years to preach through the whole thing. And, and I think Luke is easier because it's all story. And story is a lot more fun to, to preach through than Exodus because you get, you get a few chapters of story, and then you just have this huge swath of, of laws and regulations and a lot of things that, you know, at first glance, oh, this, this doesn't pertain to me at all. But my answer to this is why, why study the entire book of Exodus? Because we believe, we believe that this is the word of God, that this is God-breathed, that it's God-inspired. And the more we read... And the more we understand the law of God, the more we will understand the heart of God. And the more we can understand the heart of God, the more we can emulate him and be like him and live in a way that is pleasing and honoring to him. So I think it is a worthy, worthy goal to preach through the book of Exodus. And, and I will be honest with you, you know, I sat down and I looked at this I have no idea what to do, especially the last verse where it says, you should not boil a young goat in his mother's milk. Yeah, I'm not going to deal with that part this morning. <laughs> Read a bunch of commentaries on it. They all say different things. Um, but yeah, nobody was really quite sure what to do with that. But I think, I think I have a, maybe a, a grasp on what God is trying to do in this passage. Now, I want to work backwards through this passage and well so that the title of the sermon is is siestas and fiestas and I, I went through a couple other titles before i landed on that one i thought naps and parties would be appropriate because it is it's just take a break and have some parties um my favorite that i didn't go with was restivals and festivals um i thought making up words might not you know reflect great on on me 
But uh, this passage, this passage is basically take a break and get together and eat a few times. And I like the I like the idea that that God is is pro nap and pro party. I I, I really like that about. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. I think as we go through this, we're going to learn a little bit more about the heart of God and what he's trying to accomplish with us. So the first thing, and I'm going to work backwards, I think that God has instituted these things, these Sabbath. When I say Sabbath, it pretty much means rest and these these feasts, these festivals, so that we will remember what God has done for us. In these, this Sabbath law, God establishes for his people regular reminders of their relationship to him and his worshiping people. We have to remember what he has done. Now, we've already looked at one of these feasts pretty intensely uh, just a couple weeks ago, we had a, a gentleman come in from Chosen People Ministry, and he walked us through uh, the Seder or the Passover. That's the first feast that he talks about here, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Passover. And if you remember at the beginning of the book of Exodus, when this was first instituted, this is to remember when God protected them from the angel of death. God protected the Israelites and the angel of death passed by every house that had spread the, the lamb's blood, the spotless lamb's blood over the, the doorpost and the lentils. And he instituted this feast so that every year they would remember how God provided for them. We do this in our church once a month when we take communion, which is an outgrowth, our Christian version of that original Passover. The second feast he talks about is the, it's the Feast of Weeks. And this is the one where they celebrate the giving of the law. The giving of the law, which is what we're going through right now. We're going through the law of God. It started with the Ten Commandments back in chapter 20. And we are slowly but surely working through things. I will tell you, I've never heard a preacher preaching some of the stuff that Pastor Phyllis preached on. And when I read the passage, I'm like, man, how is he going to preach this? And then after he preaches it, I go, how in the world have I never heard a preacher preach on these topics? Because they seem so uh, relevant for the things that we're going on, that, are, that we're, we're going through in our society and in our culture. And I was thinking about the law of God. Essentially what it is, is God is saying, this is how you and I are going to get along. This is how you and I, God and us, are going to get along. We're going to relate to each other through this. You're going to, you're going to obey me through this. You're going to know exactly what I want from you from this law. That's what he's saying to the Israelite people. I'm going to tell you exactly what I want from you. Now, I need one of these for my marriage. Because I'm really bad at communicating with my wife. And there she is. She's... she's she can nod and smile. I'm really bad. And she'll be talking to me. And, and then I'll cut her off because I'm not listening. And she'll be trying to express something to me. And I'll totally miss it. And, and I'm really bad. If you ever read that book, the, the, 
the, the five love languages. You know, you read that book, and you're supposed to figure out the love language of, of, of your, your spouse. And, uh, man, I need that book specifically for, I need Jill. I want you to write down, this is exactly what I need from you, and do it, you know, just pages and pages of it. This is what I need from you, because, and I'm really bad at picking up the signals, and I also get in trouble all the time, because she'll give me the signal, and I'll be like, what? And she's trying to be, like, really covert, you know? And, and I'm, just, I'm just bad. God has taken all those excuses away from the Israelites, because here's exactly what I want from you, every jot and tittle. Here's exactly what I expect from you. If you want to please me, just obey this. Just run after this. If you want to be right with God, this is it. And he puts this feast together so that we can remember to be thankful. Or the, 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 excuse me, the Israelites can remember to be thankful. Man, God has given us his word. Have you ever found yourself going, man, what's the will of God for my life? I have no idea what he wants. He's given it to us. It's right here. And generally, it's not much more complicated than obedience. We like to make it really hard because we're always looking for the wrong answers. We're always looking for God to ask or answer questions that we don't need to know the answer to. Because we're always asking the wrong questions. I always figure if God's not answering my, my, my questions, because I'm probably asking the wrong question. And so then my prayer is, okay, God, what's the right question? What's the right question? So what an amazing thing that we know exactly what God requires of us. That's a thing worth celebrating. That's a thing worth remembering. And the third feast, the third feast that they have there is is, um, also known as the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Tents is the best way to to describe it. And, And this is the one that they're supposed to remember their wandering time, the time when they were in the wilderness. To remember how God provides for them takes care of them. Bread from heaven. Water from the rock. Now, Why do we need all these reminders? Why do we need a weekly reminder? Why do we need these special festivals? Because we are very, very forgetful. We are very, very forgetful. I think of uh, one of my favorite stories is, is Elijah the prophet. And Elijah the prophet, he is... He's going toe-to-toe with the prophets of Baal. I don't know if you remember this story. And they, they have these altars set up. And they're going to see which God is, is the real God. And so whoever can call down fire from heaven to burn up the ox or whatever that's on the, on the, the, the altar, which is a pile of rocks with some wood and then their sacrifice, whichever God will, will burn that up, that's the true God. That's, that's the right God. And so... The, 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 the priests of Baal, they get up and they do their thing and they're trying to call down fire. It says that they, they're cutting themselves and doing all kinds of crazy things and nothing happens. And Elijah gets up there. It's his turn. And he gets up there and he's feeling a little saucy and he has his altar and even has him go and get a bunch of water, just pour buckets of water all over this sacrifice. And he prays to God and God sends down fire and consumes the sacrifice and the wood and the water and the rocks. I can't think of, of a more amazing way to see God's presence 
than in this, this fire. Elijah is outrunning chariots. He's doing these mighty works. And just a few chapters later, you find Elijah in a cave hiding from Queen Jezebel because she has decided that this Elijah guy needs to die. And he's hiding in a cave and he's saying, boy, it'd just be better if I was dead. Woe is me. It would just be better if I was dead. He forgot. He forgot who was on his side. He forgot who was fighting for him. He forgot. And he forgot really fast. We need to remember what God has done because we are so forgetful. Just a few years ago, I, uh, I had gotten this job, and it was my dream job. I was, I was the worship pastor at a church, and man, this is amazing. I, I was leading worship four or five times a week for all these different ministries, and like, this is it. I have arrived, and everything I've been through has led me to this point, and God has been working on me, and woohoo. And then a, a couple of years go by, and that job is gone. We're done with you. And I was devastated. I was devastated. I, I didn't know what to do. And I remember calling my mom, you know, because when you're upset, no matter how old you get, you want to talk to your mom. I called my mom, and, and she's like, oh, you know, God's, my mom says, is very wise and says all the right things. And she's like, you know, God's got a plan, and he's doing something. And I'm like, Mom, I feel like such a failure and I spent about two years being really mad at God. I still went to church and all that stuff. But I was mad at God. And the reason I was mad at God is because my hindsight got really short-sighted. And I forgot about all that God has been doing in my life. and All the things he's brought me through. And the blessings he's given me. And my health and my family. I forgot about those things. I forgot about the fact that he saved my soul. I forgot about that. And I became bitter and angry at God because I forgot. So we need Sabbath so that we will remember what God has done for us. So the second thing, I got three Three things. So the first one was God wants us to remember. The second is God wants us to rest. He wants us to stop. You know, in this passage, not only is he concerned with our rest, he wants rest for nature. So these farmers, they've got all their fields. And he says, make sure every seven years you rest that specific field. Let it go fallow. So what he does there is he sets up basically kind of a crop rotation. And if everybody's obeying the Sabbath, that means there's always, there's always going to be fallow ground. And what happens in fallow, fallow ground is, is some of the seeds, uh, don't, some of the, uh, the, the fruit or vegetables or wheat or whatever, it doesn't get harvested, and those seeds lay there and they germinate. And so he, he wants that because then the poor can come and they can harvest food. So Sabbath helps the people of Israel help the poor. And it also helps the Israelites 
help nature because he says he wants the beast of the field to have a place to find some food. And I think it's amazing. This is one of those, those issues in our day and age, the whole environment and all that stuff. And it's very, very political and all this stuff. So sometimes Christians aren't, aren't sure what to do with, our, with the whole environmental movement. But I believe that God calls us, and you see this all the way back in the garden with Genesis, is that we are called to be stewards of this world. Now, I think a lot of times uh, certain theologies will, will push us toward this idea that, eh, you know what, it's all going to burn anyway, so why, why worry about nature? God has called us to be stewards of this place, to take care of it. And I see that here in this passage. God, through Sabbath, is looking out for the poor and he's looking out for wild animals. I like that. I like that about God. That's not something I I, I would think about. And that's not something I would think that God is super concerned with. But he is. God wants us to rest. Because the concept of rest in the scriptures goes back to the garden. It's true rest was instituted before the fall. When they were with God in the garden, there was rest. And rest equals fellowship. Rest equals being in community with God. Being connected with God. When we come here on Sunday, hopefully what happens is we reconnect with God. Because the week is hard. And we're working and we're running our kids to baseball. And you're you're getting your kids to school and... You've got 101 different things going on. And you need to stop. So we're stopping now. So we can put our minds and our focus on God. And so rest brings us back into community with God. And there is this, there is this need for this restoration. You see it right away in Genesis. After the fall, mankind, they, they choose To go their own way and not God's way. And so that fellowship is broken and they're thrown out of the garden. And they're cursed and now they're going to work hard for everything they have and toil and labor. And as you you read, you just go through the genealogy. And then there's a man named Lemek. And he has a son. And he names him Noah. And the name Noah means rest. And he says, maybe this will be the one who will bring relief from the curse And so right away, in the Old Testament, you see a need, a longing for someone who would come and who will restore this world and our relationship back to the way it was in the garden. We know that person is Jesus, but the expectation has been there since the beginning. Since the beginning. I love that. God knows we need rest physically. And when we take a break, we admit our own, our own limits. See, Sabbath is for us. It's for us. And in, in Mark, Jesus is telling the Pharisees who are trying to, trying to trip him up every way they can. And, 
and the religious rulers of the time had created hundreds and hundreds of laws on how to obey Sabbath. Like, I was looking through some of the laws and some of the modern laws, because this is still a thing with real Orthodox Jews, and they're not even allowed to flip a light switch on the Sabbath, the Orthodox, because you're, you're completing a circuit, you're completing a task. And so a lot of, a lot of Orthodox Jews in, in, in Israel will have, uh, make sure they have timers set up on their lights so that the lights will come on on, on Sabbath. I thought, wow. Jesus would say, boy, you've kind of missed the whole point of Sabbath. He says, Sabbath, I, Sabbath is for us. We are not here for Sabbath. I want you to have rest. God rested. After six days of creation, he rested. He paused. We need rest. I, my, my last job, I was... Um, I worked construction for commercial building, and, and we were doing this job in Chicago, and they wanted it done yesterday. And so the owner comes in and says, hey, can you guys all work through the weekend so we can get this place open? And we're all like, sure, because the money's great, right? And so we work uh, you know, Monday through Saturday, and then we work Sunday, and we came in Monday, and something changed, and everybody was real grouchy. And and you came in, and right away, people were flipping out at each other, and these guys were swearing at each other over there, and, and it was a real tense place. And I think what happened is nobody got a break. Nobody had a chance to just stop and rest. Man, it does something to us. I know a lot of people doing 10, hour, you know, 10 days a week shifts, and then they get a couple days off. and Boy, it, it wears on you. It hurts you. God knows we need rest. Now, what I don't want to do is tell you, well, this is exactly how you should obey Sabbath, and it should look like this, da, da, da. And I'll definitely say church should be somewhere in your Sabbath. Church should be somewhere in your Sabbath. But, like, for instance, today, my, uh, my Sabbath is I'm going to go home and I'm going to try pickling again. I, uh, last week, I, I uh, had a bag of cucumbers i'm like man i've always wanted to pickle and i had a blast last sunday and i did the whole pickling thing and woohoo and then monday morning i'm like i can't wait to try these and i've been into it and it was the worst pickle i've ever had <laughs> it was horrible i'm like this recipe was not good and so i went and looked on the recipe and then i read the reviews and they all had the same problem i had i'm like okay i want to try this whole. so that's what i'm doing today now for me that's super relaxing. I'll be in the room, our kitchen and family room are all kind of one room. So the kids will be in there, and we'll have some music playing, and, and it'll, just, it'll just be nice and relaxing, hopefully making some halfway decent pickles. So Sabbath, I think rest looks different for different people. You know what? One vacation for somebody might feel like rest for the other person. It might be horrible, like I even think white water rafting would be a great vacation. It would be, you know, relaxing and restful. But to some people, that's just terrifying. So Sabbath may look different for you. Now, here's the one. Now, disclaimer, here's the problem with, with preaching through the Bible and not skipping stuff is I am not equipped to preach this because I am a total hypocrite on Sabbath. I'm really bad at this. And I'm really bad at this next one 
Because sometimes to, to take Sabbath, what you need to do is give Sabbath to someone else. It's my guess is maybe you live with somebody else in your house like I do who does a lot of work and is going all the time. This week, my wife, she, my wife is, she works full time. She's taking night classes and then she's running my kids around to baseball. Like she's just nonstop. And then guess what is piling up in the basement? Laundry. I need to step it up so that my wife can take a break. And so for me, the big thing that, that I want to take away is I'm not the only one in my house that needs Sabbath, that needs rest. Now she's going to hold it to me because I said it in front of everybody. <laughs> she needs rest. Yeah. We need rest. So maybe, maybe this week, maybe you're not taking a Sabbath as much as you're giving a Sabbath. And I think, I think Sabbath takes work. It takes preparation. You've got to be ready. Because things need done. People still need to eat. All right, kids, just, just figure it out. <laughs> the, the other day, we were at home, and, and the boys were home, and they're like, yeah, we'll have ramen. They know how to make ramen. They can throw it in the microwave. Well, they decided they wanted chicken nuggets, so they took the big pizza sheet that we, you know, they were making pizzas, a big round sheet, and they threw it on the stove and made chicken nuggets on that. Daniel was like, yeah, Dad, they're real good. I took him aside and I was like, hey, buddy, it's a frying pan. Use a frying pan next time. <laughs> yeah. Parenting do's and don'ts. So God wants us to remember. We have Sabbath and we have these, these ordinances so we'll remember. God wants us to rest. We are human. You know, people, I always like to say, people, you, you got to take a break. I'm like, ah, sleep is for mortals. I always like to say that, like I'm this tough guy that doesn't need sleep. Thing is, if I, if I miss a night of sleep, I'm a mess. Uh, that, that We had that all-nighter just a few weeks ago. Man, the next five days, I was a mess. So the last thing, God wants us to know who we are. Sabbath helps us understand who we are because at our very core, we are worshipers of God. We are worshipers of God. That is who we are. That should be our identity. You know, our, our culture is always telling us that you've got to find yourself and, and you've got to figure out who you are. And then what happens is who I am becomes something that's really not that important. Like there was a, there was a long time where, man, I was cool because I played ultimate frisbee, man. I was in these leagues, you know, ultimate frisbee, where it's like on, the, on a soccer field, and, and you, you catch it in the end zone. So it's kind of like football and soccer with a frisbee, and it was a real hip, cool thing. And, and I played in these leagues in Chicago, and, and I just thought I was the man. And then one day, stuff happened to my back. And uh, now when I run, it's, it's, it's not cool anymore. <laughs> it's more eh, like this. And then you kind of have to rethink yourself. Oh, my identity was wrapped up in how cool I was playing ultimate frisbee. You know, I think of all these baseball players, you know, baseball season's coming around. And if you're 37 and you're still playing Major League Baseball, you're old. Like, that's a real bummer. These guys, man, he's an old timer. He's 39. 39, what? I'm 39. And I realize that we age out of so many things that we put 
you know, our stock in and who we are. I think that's why people have midlife crises. They have these midlife crises because they get to a point and they can't do the things that they love for whatever reason, and now they don't know who they are anymore. I don't know who I am if I'm not riding my four-wheeler, right? I don't know who I You put XYZ in there. If you remember who you are, that you are first and foremost, you are a worshiper, that you were made to worship. You're never going to age out of that. You're never going to get to a point, well, you're too old for worship now, buddy. You know, It's not how it works. That's who we are. Our identity also requires each other. You know, a lot of people, they won't go to church, go, oh, you know, I do church at home. I got it. You know, I, uh, I remember God every week and I do my own thing. The problem is, the Bible says that we need each other. Now, a lot of people will avoid church because, ah, there's so much drama and, and uh, man, I got burned by this church or that church. I get it. Guess what? Churches are full of people and we're all a mess. You're not going to find a church that isn't full of messed up people. We're all hypocrites. All of us. But we're all saved by grace. And God forgives. He forgives us. And hopefully we can forgive each other and we can live in this community together. One of my favorite verses is, is Hebrews 3.12. And it says, it says, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. This tells me that I need you to follow God. Because what I have noticed, and we've all had times where we stray and we get away from, from the community, and all of a sudden I get really good at justifying all the junk I do and all my bad behavior because I don't have anybody around me to correct me and say, you're being an idiot, you're totally wrong. We need each other. We need to encourage each other. We can't do this alone. We're not called to be hermits. We're called to be one people, one body. We need each other. He wants us to know who we are. This is why we Sabbath. God rescued the Israelites from Egypt. Why? Not just to free them from slavery. The first time he goes to Pharaoh, he says, I need you to let my people go, God's people go, so that we can go have a, a party. He says, so we can have a feast in honor of God. This is the original reason. Yeah, freedom from slavery, that's a good thing, but that's not, that was not the focal point. Later on, he says, free the people so that they can go and worship God at his holy mountain. God rescued the Israelites to worship those of us who are believers, we have been rescued to worship. We are no longer bound by slavery. We are no longer bound by sin and death. Like that song says, we are bound for glory. We have been rescued to worship. That is who we are. And worship isn't just what we do when we're singing a song and raising our hands. Worship is doing all things to the glory of God. Worship is encouraging one another. Worship, the word, literally means giving worth where it's due. And we can do that in everything we do. Now, right in the middle of this passage, this is my last thing, right in the middle of this passage, it says, pay attention 
to all that I have said to you, and make no mention of the name of other gods, nor let it be heard on your lips. I believe if you are struggling with Sabbath, if you are struggling with finding rest, you may have an idolatry problem. You may be worshiping another god, and that god is probably yourself. You have probably set up yourself as an idol because you think if you stop that the whole world will fall apart. You think if you stop working, your company's going to go to shambles. And if you stop running after whatever you're running at, things are going to happen. You know, I was raised with this idea that if you want something done right, you've got to do it yourself. That's a real damaging uh, uh, thing to live by in this community. And I'm always trying to undo that in my brain. The world is not going to fall apart if you step, if you stop. You may fall apart if you don't stop. Stop. See God. Worship him. Do not have any other gods before him. Don't put yourself before him. And maybe you're struggling with finding rest because you are still in bondage. You are still a slave. Slaves don't get rest. Slaves work all the time, which is one of the reasons in this passage, he tells people that have slaves, you need to take Sabbath so that your beasts of burden, they can stop and your slaves can stop. But if you are still a slave in sin, there's no rest for you. There's only rest in Jesus. There is only rest in believing in the one true son. That he came, that he lived. That he died for our sins, that he rose again. That's what we remembered this morning in baptism. He has saved us to worship. Has he saved you to worship? Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you are looking out for us. That you know our faults. You know our issues. And that you have instituted rest. And Lord, we long for that ultimate rest. And we will be with you in paradise, in the garden again. We long for that and we look forward to that. Lord, we pray that you would be about bringing rest to the people of Holly. That you would free them from slavery so they can worship you. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. I went really long, so I'm going to say, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Have a great day. God bless.